Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Thank you, um, worship team. It was beautiful. Such a nice evening this evening. So beautiful to have you here on Palm Sunday. And thank you to our team who worked really hard this week. You may look around and think, wow, that we're trying to uh, grow our income. And all our paint was donated by a member of the church, which is incredible, and all the scaffolding. But I particularly want to point out Rachel Baker and Rachel Maguire. Where's, Ra- where's Rachel Maguire? Oh, both the stand-up girls. Because these are the masterminds behind this. And um, honestly, they have worked day and night to, uh, to get this transformation happening. And uh, one thing that I, I know is happening here is that we feel like God is saying it's, it's not an entertainment space, it's an encounter space. So the light is coming in and I believe God wants to do new things. And so it's beautiful. All set up for Palm Sunday. Um, my son Caleb just rang me from Sydney to say, Happy Palm Sunday and reminded me that on a Palm Sunday many years ago I fell off the stage over at Ty's Hill. I thought, I'd just forgotten that. And uh, the funny thing was the ninth year I got up. I'm remembering now, Jake, yes, I can see you. I'll come to you. Um, I got up on the, on the ninth anniversary and, and my daughter said, that's the exact skirt you wore when you fell off the stage last year. I thought, oh, there you go. Jake is waiting there to take the youth out and um, it's the youth camp starting tomorrow. And you may have seen an email because the chef is in isolation and Jake sent an email out to the whole church yesterday and and really in about an hour he had another chef. So thanks, everyone, just for being so willing to serve. But uh, just before Jake takes the youth out, I want to pray for the youth camp. So, Father, we just thank you for youth camp this year. Thank you for the beautiful things and the powerful things you do in youth camp. I pray, Lord, for every teenager and youth leader who's going for your protection and your blessing And, Lord, that each one of them will encounter you. Each one of them will discover what it means more to surrender their lives to you and to see what happens in a surrendered life. And so, Father, we pray that through this camp you will raise up new leaders in our church, future leaders, ones who will take the baton and run with it. We pray you'll bless them and bless Jake and his team as they lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, youth, follow Jake out that way. So listen to that beautiful recording of um, the Palm Sunday story. And what you hear there is a a cry, a cry of the heart. And that cry of the heart is saying, save us. And that Hosanna, before um, we really get what Jesus is is about to do, is is the Hosanna, the savers, can be described like this, as God, please hear my cry. Please speak to me and please show me something new. There's a cry, a, a desperate cry coming out. And tonight we're going to look at the cry of your heart. Every, every heart has a cry. And what we tend to do, particularly in our busy Western world when we can create a lot of noise, is to dull the cry of our heart. But the cry is always there. There's always something crying out. What you're crying out for today may have been different to what you're crying out for yesterday, but deep down it's the same cry. And it's important to hear the cry of your heart because God wants to hear the cry of your heart and he wants you to acknowledge the cry of your heart before him. And so tonight we're going to look at a, a story of the cry of hearts. You see, what happened in, um, on Palm Sunday is that people are crying out, Hosanna, save us. And the same people who cried out, save us, just a few days later were crying out, crucify him. 
they turned on him very, very quickly. And the reason was that they had this picture in their heads about how he was going to save them. And we human beings, without being critical of the people back then, do the same thing. We cry out to God, but we have a plan worked out already for how he will orchestrate the salvation plan. So we cry out to him and then we give him our list of tasks that he should achieve in with the timeline and exactly what he should do. And when he doesn't do it, we say, God let me down. And I'm sure all of us have been in a a space or time where you have thought, God let me down. He didn't do what I wanted to do. And you're the same as these people. Because that's what they thought. He didn't. They wanted to be saved from Roman oppression. And it wasn't looking like that was going to happen. He arrived on a donkey. A donkey is a symbol of peace. He was coming to save, but he was coming to save in a different way to what they expected. In fact, he was coming to a save in a way that they'd never anticipated. And I believe God wants to do the same in our lives today. He wants to do things in your life to rescue you, to save you, to transform you in ways that you've never anticipated. And you often think, God gave up on me and he let me down. And many people walk away from their faith because of that, because God didn't follow their formula. And they say, well, I asked for this or someone or a Christian did this and therefore God let me down. And, you know, by the time Jesus was hung on the cross, there was a very small group of people sitting around the foot of the cross who would continue with him. And there was a very, very small group of people who first saw the empty tomb. And they were the ones, along with another small group, a bit bigger than that, that were able to usher in the church when the Holy Spirit came to earth. And I I really believe God is birthing something new in the church in the West at the moment. And uh, some people will be the group who hang at the foot of the cross. They're waiting for what God is doing. And he is going to do something new and powerful because he always does. All throughout history, he always does. And to start with it, you've got to start looking at the cry of your own heart. What is God doing in your heart? So I'm going to read another story. This is one from Luke 8. And we're going to look at the cry of several people's hearts, starting at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a little girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. First thing to notice in this story 
there's two, particularly two people who cry out to Jesus, one verbally and one silently. And the thing about these people is one is a man who is a synagogue leader, which puts him up in the high ranks of society. And the other is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, which is significant to the story because by the law of that day, a woman who'd been bleeding was not allowed into the temple for worship. She wasn't allowed to be part of the community. She had to be isolated all the time. And she's a woman, which was also low. So you've got a man who's up here and you've got a woman who is literally down in the dust. In the story, she's down in the dust and that's basically where she fits into society. And you've got both of them there and this is what you see. Jesus graciously met their respective needs and responded to their faith with equal love, power and willingness to heal. He shows no partiality to princes and does not favour the rich over the poor for they are all the work of his hands, as it says in Job. problem is you and I sometimes don't see it like that, even for ourselves. And you come to God, you're crying out to in your heart, but in your mind, as you're crying out, you can have either a sense of, you should do this for me because, and then you have your little list of the things that are good about you and you're kind of bargaining with God. And you can do that really humbly, like, God, I've, you know, I've done this and I've done this and I've been really kind and nice and because um, and, in your mind you're thinking, please, God, hear me. Surely I've done enough to deserve you to do something in my life. Or alternatively, when things don't happen or where you're crying out, you're thinking of what you haven't done or what you should have done or what you did do that you shouldn't have done. You think, that's why God's not hearing me. And how can I even cry out to God? Because yeah, I know I know what I'm really like on the inside, even if no one else does. Of course God's not going to do it for me because I don't have it all together. And both those approaches to God are self-focused, both of them. There might be a, a bit of humility in there, but that's got nothing to do with it. It's still self-focused because you are coming to God and hoping he will do something based on you. And the thing is, God responding to you has nothing to do with you. It has every with you and your character and nature has everything to do with him. And he never changes. He's always kind. He's always good. He's always faithful. So the reason we can come to God is not because of our own worthiness. And the reason we, we don't ask when we think we've got lack of worth is not because we, we're unworthy, saying that badly. It's because he's good. So I'm encouraging us tonight to get our eyes off ourselves and to look at him. Because when you see him, you'll know that, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that we can all run boldly into the throne of grace and there we find mercy. It's the most beautiful thing. We look at him and that's the reason you can come into his presence and that's the reason you can cry out to him from the depth of your heart because of him, not because of you. There is nothing that you can do that makes you worthy and there's nothing so bad that you can do that makes you unworthy because when you put your faith in the death of Jesus on the cross for you, he gives you his worthiness. And that's all you need as you come into his presence. And so getting that in mind as we go into this, knowing that we're all the work of his hands and he sees us all the same and all we need to do is put our faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is good, he is kind, he is merciful. Let's go and have a look at this story. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So here we've got this synagogue leader, and he's a man who's up here. And what you see in this man, several things that I believe are incredibly important as we come to God with the cry of our heart. Firstly, he's desperate. He's actually desperate because he's a well-respected man 
He was pushing his way through the crowd, falling at Jesus' feet and pleading. He's making a show of himself. You picture what you would have to be like to do that, that you imagine that we're all here and you want something from someone and you push the way, your way through the crowd and you fall at this person's feet and you plead and everyone is looking at you. You are desperate. And this man is desperate. And his desperation reels, reveals several things. Firstly, to me, it reveals his incredible love for his daughter. And I hope that for each one of us, there is a desperation cry for someone in your life. If all our prayers are just about ourselves, we need to ask God to break us out of that. There are people in your life who need someone who will wake up every day and go to bed every night in desperation, crying out desperation prayers for them. Because in this case, the girl is sick and she's dying and she's unable to do anything for herself. And you have people in your lives who may be dying spiritually. They might be dying emotionally. They're going through tough times and you'll see two different attitudes come out of us all when we face situations like this with other people. We either come up with the reasons why they are where they are and if you were them, you wouldn't have done that and so you probably wouldn't have been in that position, which is called judgmental, or our hearts cry out for them, God, please save them. And it's good to ask God when we, when we look at other people and their situations that they're in, do we have this desperation of love that Jairus has or do we have a superior attitude that says, if I was them, I wouldn't have done that. And we can all fall into the latter. But I believe God wants us to have the former where we desperately cry out on behalf of other people. His desperation also reveals his own need. He doesn't want to lose his daughter. He doesn't want his family to go through this trauma and so he comes in desperation to cry out for God. But then you see as well as desperation, there is humility. He falls on his knees and here he is a synagogue leader. He's someone who's meant to understand religion but he's hit a wall. He doesn't have the answer here. And so he comes in humility and this humility reveals in dying to himself. I believe that when we get to the really allow the cry of our heart to come out, we actually have to die to ourselves. And when we die to ourselves, we realise that we no longer live for ourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to remind yourself this, that you gave your life away to him and now he is taking control of your life for you and he wants to bless you and he wants to fill you and he wants you to use you for good purposes in this world. And so you have to come in humility and die to yourself and realise you don't have the plans any longer. You thought you tried to work things out and they didn't work out. You tried to solve things and you couldn't solve them. You came to all the resources that you had and they didn't work. He's probably a wealthy man. He probably could have money to try and get his daughter healed, but nothing was working. And so in humility, he comes and he dies to himself. And then the third thing is unashamed. He's unashamed to fall on the ground in front of all these people, the synagogue leader coming to this man and he's on the ground and he's revealing my trust is in God alone. And I believe for each one of us, our desperation drives us to this point. Truly, if we didn't have just desperation, we'd become so self-focused, we would just go our merry way and say, I'm happy, so why do I need God? And God is trying to show us that there is a much bigger picture for your life than just you having a pleasant day. He has a great calling on your life. He's calling you to eternal purposes. And in these desperation moments, you are set up to see a miracle. At this point, it doesn't feel like that for Jairus. And you might be in a desperation point at the moment. It doesn't feel like you're set up for a miracle. But I believe God is saying, hang, hang in there, but cry out to me. Cry out to me. You need to get to that point where you have the end of your own resources. 
And so you've got cards there and I'd love you to pick up a card and a pen. I'm just going to give you a little bit of space for a moment where you write down your heart's cry to God, where you say, please hear me. Now, when you write, please hear me, I'd ask you to write down the first thing that comes into your mind, but then ask God to show you what is the deeper cry of your heart. I think most of us have a similar cry. A circumstance can reveal something, but when, if you got down deeper, you would see a commonality in the cry of our hearts. So say, for instance, you're crying out because you've got difficult, a difficult finance situation. You um, keep digging down, you'll find you've got fear of being abandoned there, fear of not being able to do something. And you, if you keep digging down, you say to God, okay, this is the cry of my heart, but what is the deeper cry of my heart? I'm sure he'll show you. So have a go at that. Write down the cry of your heart. Just give you a couple of minutes to do that. If you haven't finished, you can take your, you're about to do it later or take it home and keep crying out to God from the cry of your heart. Now the story moves on and something very strange happens here because here we have Jesus who we've talked about who is interested in everyone and then he stops everyone. So you've got Jesus pushing through this crowd and this woman comes up and she touches him and Jesus stops. Now, he's on the way to heal a little girl who's dying but in the middle of it all he stops. What is he doing? To everyone who's from Jairus's house, it would seem crazy. And even to the disciples, it seems crazy because they're saying like, okay, so all these people are pushing against you. Of course you felt something if you feel power going out of you. It's probably lots and lots of people. And disciples being like us try to tell Jesus what to do. But Jesus has got a bigger plan here. This is what happened. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Do you notice how it says, Seeing that she could not go unnoticed. What Jesus is doing here is making this woman 
noticed. She is an unnoticed woman. She's not allowed to go to the synagogue for worship. She's not allowed to hang out with other people. She's been banned from society for 12 years. She is a nothing. And Jesus stops the whole parade and brings attention to her. And he speaks to her. She's crying out from her heart, thinking she can't even voice her her heart's cry. And Jesus speaks to her in front of everyone so that everyone hears him speaking to her. He chooses her. And perhaps tonight you're thinking, why would God speak to me? And what he's showing here is you don't gauge who you are in by the social constrictions, restraints that we have created. They are man-made. God has a whole new economy in his kingdom. He has a whole new system of operating in his kingdom and he speaks to everyone and particularly those who are crying out to him like she is. And he speaks to her in front of everyone, making her notice, and he calls her daughter. This is the only instance where Jesus calls someone daughter in the Gospels. And as he speaks to her, this abandoned woman belongs. By saying daughter, he's saying you belong. And then he commends her for her faith and she's not even allowed to go to worship. And he says, your faith has healed you. Well done. Out of all the crowds, you, well done. She came trembling and he gives her peace and he acknowledges her as a worthwhile person in front of the whole crowd. And if Jesus was speaking to you tonight, he would speak words of encouragement and affirmation. He would speak deep into the very need of your heart, the deepest fears of your heart, if you would stop to listen. He wants to speak to you every day and you can hear him every day. When, if you open up your Bible, some people think when they open up their Bible, they say, I don't know what to do because they feel like they've got to study it like they studied a textbook at school. And it's not like that. As you read the scriptures every day, you ask God to speak to you and he speaks to you because it's a living word. The Bible is a living word. If you go expectant, he will speak to you every day. You can read the same passage every day and every day God can speak something new to you that brings life to you. But also, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit speaks to you. That's also right through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. And I'm going to give you a moment where you can actually say, please talk to me. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and write down what you hear. Now, some of you might be thinking, I can't do that uh, because I'm not spiritual enough. But, of course, you are because you're created by God and you're created in his image. So it's not something you earn. It's God speaking to you. And if you've never done this before, just listen. Just say, God, speak to me and write something down. And if you're not sure it's from God, just ask the person next to you, do you think this could be from God? And if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. But you know what? I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And this morning um, in the 8.30 service, there was a little girl sitting down the front here. and She's six. And she was just sitting quietly with her mum. And at the end of the service, she came up to me and she said, this is what God said to me. I didn't even know she was listening to the message. And she heard God saying to her, this is what she wrote, this is what she did in the service this morning, stop saying that I am a bad person. She heard God say that to her. How beautiful is that? And she drew that picture. So there she was sitting. And you know, Jesus said, you have to come like a little child. You have to just come and listen. And we complicate it all so much. You just have to come simply as his child. So if it helps, just come sitting there, imagining yourself as his little boy or girl rather than this mature person who's meant to have everything together because you are his son or his daughter and he longs to speak to you. And I promise you that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, when people prophesy, when they speak from God, it speaks words of comfort 
and encouragement and strengthening to build people up. And so have a go. Have a go and hear what God might be saying to you. You know, you might think, oh, this couldn't, this couldn't be true. But Graham and our family, Graham, my husband and I and our, two of our kids were at Bethel in America once and we went to a, a course on listening to God and we did this little exercise and Graham's sitting next to a man he's never met before and he felt God say, do something about the skunk. And Graham's thinking, that's ridiculous. Why am I saying that? But he couldn't get anything else. So he turned to the guy and said, sorry, this is going to sound, this is going to sound really stupid and really bad, but um, I think God's saying do something about the skunk. And the guy goes, oh, there's a skunk under our house and it smells bad. And every day my wife says, get rid of the skunk. And it's causing great tension between us. And so you come from Australia and you sit there and you say, do something about the skunk. So sometimes you might think that's ridiculous and God is speaking to you or through you. So don't limit what God would do. So a couple of minutes, just say, God, speak to me. Write down what you think you'll hear God saying. speaks to you it shows you this is a friendship this is a two-way relationship and that's the beautiful relationship he wants to develop with you it doesn't mean you'll always get it right but same in every relationship and you continue to grow in him and now we come to the last part of this story and here we have jesus this is in 842 jesus is on his way and the crowds almost crushed him so what you can see here is that it's really hard to get to jairus's house firstly jesus stops for the woman and they have this lovely little interaction and Jairus is probably thinking, this is all really lovely, but my daughter is dying. Time is of the essence here. And then he's trying to push through the crowd, which is almost crushing him, so it's not a quick journey to get to the house. And then while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And what I see here I think is something that you'll find in, in all of us 
is that our faith has a point of no return. We have a limit. So Jairus is saying, I can believe that Jesus can do something in my situation while my daughter is sick, but now that she's dead, I don't have any more faith. And for each one of us, I believe there's a point of faith, there's a point where our faith runs out. And for this is where I believe Jesus was hanging back here because he wanted um, Jairus to get to the point where he felt it was still possible. Still, still seemed possible, because, but God is the God of the impossible. He's the one who does things that no one thought were possible. He wants to constantly show you new things about himself. And he will get the glory then. If, if it's something that you can do, we take the glory for ourselves. But when, some, when it's something you cannot do and you've tried everything and then God breaks through, he takes the glory. And we who have given our lives to him live so that he will be glorified, not so that we will be glorified. And that's what we want, which is why we come to him and cry out to him and lay our lives down to him. And then people see the magnificence of God. And then others discover that there is a God who is kind, who cares, who believes, and who is powerful. And so Jesus continues to go, even though they've got to this fear point. And I believe God wants to, um, he will continue with you. Sometimes you think, well, look, I ran out of faith, so God will give up on me. And that's coming back to working out your own worthiness. Don't think that. God will get you to that point and then he will increase your faith if you come to him and cry out to him. And I believe for each one of us there is that point. It happens at different points in our lives where we think, I can't believe anymore. He's saying, come to me and I will increase your faith. He increases Jairus' faith. He doesn't do it himself. He just keeps walking with Jesus and Jesus increases his faith. So Jesus goes into the house and it says, Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not, a, she's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. And they did know that she was dead because that's something that fits into their experience, particularly in those days when people were born in homes and died in homes. They knew that this little girl was dead. So when he says she's not dead, it does seem ridiculous. They're not bad for saying that. You would have said the same thing as well. And Jesus is about to show them something new, something that they've never seen before. And we can sometimes be like them and we can laugh at people of faith and we can even be cynical about them when they're just childlike and trusting. And we need to make sure that our attitude is never like that towards people of faith, that we encourage people in their faith just to trust that God will bring something good out of every situation. It's like in the Old Testament, the story of three men called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were going to be punished if they kept worshipping God. And the king said, yeah, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And they said, okay, like if we go in this furnace, God might save us. But even if he doesn't, he will do something extraordinary out of this. We're not worried. And what they had was no fear. And Jesus brings to Jairus two commands and a promise. He says, don't be afraid, first command, just believe, second command, and a promise, and she will be healed. And God is saying to each one of us every day, and it's from the beginning of the scriptures right to the end, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Of all the things that we, we hold as incredibly important when we read the scriptures, this, don't be afraid, just believe, is the thing that goes from the start to the finish. When the, the Israelites who were going through the, the wilderness to the promised land, the thing that they did that tore them away from God so much was their uh, lack of faith. They just didn't believe that he was good. They would see him do one miracle, then they'd be grumpy with him the next time. It's, it's this 
this don't be afraid and just believe is a a love response to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That is our response. But it's easy for me just to say, so everyone, end of message, just don't be afraid. Are you worried about anything? Just don't. Has anyone ever said that to you? Like when you're really worried? Look, don't worry. And have you ever gone, oh, that's it. Oh, thanks. None of us have. In fact, sometimes you feel like getting really angry with people who say, don't worry, because it seems really uncaring. So a little tip, don't say to someone, don't worry. Listen to what they're going through. But how do you not worry? And I believe this is a lifelong journey. It's not something that you will have down pat. Every time I feel like I've got this one down pat, something happens and I realise, no, I don't. I've got to start again. (laughs) Because every time something happens like this, you have an opportunity to extend your faith and your trust in God. And I believe that the, the answer to this is not trying to work up something in yourself but to get a clearer picture of God and who he is. Because the more you see him, the less you will be afraid. The more you understand his character and nature, the less you will worry. The more you understand the victory won for you on the cross, and you'll discover more about that on Good Friday, the less anxiety you will have in your life. But it is a daily journey. Don't think that you'll go to church one Sunday and you get it and then you're set for the rest of your life because we're human and we lose it so quickly. So we just need to keep coming back to him. And as we listen to him daily, he increases our faith. So the next time you're afraid and worried, say to yourself, oh, the reason I'm afraid and worried is because I really don't understand the magnificence of God enough yet. And we say, God, help me to see you more clearly. Let me hear you speak to me. Let me see your power and your glory. Let me understand your character and nature because we sort of bring him down to be like us, faithless people. And he wants to expand our minds to see him the God who gave his life for us on the cross. Don't be afraid, he says, just believe. That's what he wants to do for each one of us. He wants to get us out of our fear and out of our worry so that he can show us something new. And I believe he he wants to do that for all of us tonight. He wants to get you out of wherever you are and increase your faith. And it is a bit scary doing that sometimes, just expecting God to bring good out of dark situations. But this is what he's saying to us from the beginning to the end of the scripture that he is the God who saves. And he says to Abraham, way back in Genesis 12, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you get to carry that on to people. So not only do you have your faith increased, others get to see how good God is through you. And Jairus got to see something new. And you, in your life already, have probably got to see something new. You've got to see how the Holy Spirit in you has transformed you, how you have become a different person how your faith has already been increased. And God is saying, don't stop where you are. There is so much more and there's so much more honour and glory that you can bring to him as you surrender to him and put your faith and trust in him. Every every cry of your heart in desperation is an opportunity for you to encounter the living God and through your life reveal him to other people in the world. As you know, I was talking before about hearing God by reading the scripture. How do you get a better picture of him? You read the Bible and you get a better picture of his character and nature, but you also ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So sometimes we call the Holy Spirit an it, but the Holy Spirit is a person. It is the person of God. And when you're asking the Holy Spirit to come into you, you're asking for the person of God, the God who created the entire universe, the God who gave his life on the cross, the God who was risen from the dead to fill you. And as he fills you daily and even hourly and by the minute as you surrender to him, 
he starts to change your heart and your mind. He creates in you a new person and you start to see him because he's filled, he, because he fills you and you start to think like him and you start to speak like him. And that's why the scripture says, by their fruit you will know them. What comes out of your mouth will show if you're really filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. So now our third thing is to say, God, please show me something new. And it may be, show me something new about you that I've never seen before. Maybe show me something new about someone else. It may be increase my faith. And what I'm going to do now is ask the prayer team to come out and um, the worship team to come back up. And they're just going to play softly while we ask God to show us something new. But perhaps you'd like someone to pray for you. And so um, come out and let someone pray for you and see what God would do. And you know, coming out for prayer is just it's, it's a powerful thing. You may feel like, might be as big for you as being like Jairus and coming out through the crowd. That's okay. Desperation is a great thing. And as someone prays for you, just ask, you may come and say, please pray for me that I would see this situation through God's perspective because God wants to change our perspective. We see the world and situations through our perspective. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about um, Jesus coming the storm and the disciples were in the boat and they were afraid that they were going to drown. And Jesus calmed the storm and he said, where is your faith? Because he saw it from a totally different perspective. And God, I believe, wants to lift your perspective so that you see things from his perspective rather than your perspective. Your perspective, like those disciples in the boat, will make you worried, but his perspective will help you see that there is a much bigger picture. And if you can just not be afraid and just believe, you too, through the Holy Spirit within you, will have the abilities asking them to do to calm the storm. So, Lord, show us something new. We just have a couple of minutes now where you can have some time and or come out for prayer and see what God will do.
Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.